Daniel chapter 9. We're going to look tonight at Daniel's prayer. And this is an important thing for us to take a look at because if we're willing to allow the word of God to have authority in our life, it will teach us how to pray. How shall we pray? What, what way should we uh, come before the Lord? So if you remember last time, Daniel chapter 9 verse 1 says, Now first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent of Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord in Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. And I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. So he read in the Bible about why he was in captivity. He read it in Jeremiah. And if you remember, Jeremiah was, uh, was a prophet at the same time when Daniel was a, a young man taken in the beginning of the captivity. So he had got himself a scroll of Jeremiah the prophet and reading the scroll had, had brought him to the point where he wanted to pray. Now, if we are willing, as men and women who declare themselves to be followers of Christ, Christians, when we read the Bible, that's what the Bible ought to do to us. It ought to call us to prayer. We should recognize the things in the Bible that say, hey, this is, um, this is not right. This thing in the world or this thing in my life, and it should bring us to, uh, to prayer. Now, if we look at this prayer of Daniel, this is how it's going to go. First, Daniel's going to focus on God, who God is, what God has done. He'll begin with adoration and thanksgiving and thankfulness to God. Then he's going to follow that with confession of national sin. Now, if you remember, if we look at the life of Daniel in the book of Daniel, you're going to be hard-pressed to find sin. Doesn't mean he didn't have any, but the Bible doesn't tell us of a moral failure in the life of Daniel. But it didn't stop Daniel from praying before God and asking God, pleading with the Lord, that he would forgive his nation, the nation of Israel. He was probably 15 when he's taken into captivity, so he didn't really have a lot of say in what the nation was doing, yet he could pray the prayer of repentance. And then after his repentance, he makes his uh, petition before the Lord. He asks the Lord to, to uh, deliver, to open his eyes, help him understand the visions he's seen. We'll see that uh, as we get toward the end of the prayer. So this is an order that we want to understand. This is an order we, we see the same thing when the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. And the Lord says, well, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Right? He's going to follow this same example that we see in the book of Daniel. So we look at it in verse 4, the beginning of his prayer. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him, and keep his commandments. Now, when we talk about having a right relationship with God, 
And men came to Jesus and they said to him, what is the greatest commandment? They're asking him, what's the, what's the most important thing I can do in following God? What is it? What, what should that look like? And he says, he makes the declaration, right? He says, here's the most important thing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul, mind and strength. And he says, the, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So he makes this proclamation. When we look at this, he's saying, look, I'm praying to the Lord God who I made confession, the God who is great and awesome, who keeps his promises and has faithful love. You see that word steadfast love? It's the word has said. The Hebrew word has said. It's a faithful, steadfast love. He doesn't give up. And it says with those who love him and keep his commandments. Those who are following the Lord. When we walk with Jesus Christ, when we walk as believers, there are disciplines that ought to be a part of our life, right? I know a lot of times we think, well, here's the, here's the discipline or here's the reality or here's this thing or, or here's that thing. And we, we get all of this, uh, all these weird ideals of what we ought to be doing. When Jesus lays out for us this concept, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Walk with him. Follow Jesus. Following Jesus means that I'm going where he's going. I'm doing what he's doing. I'm trying to allow the things that he wants to do and work through me to, to be accomplished. So he says, this is the God whom I'm calling to, the one he acknowledges to have a relationship with the nation of Israel. In fact, he refers to Exodus chapter 6. And Exodus chapter 6 verse 2 says, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I remember my promise, saying, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. So the Lord is saying, look, I'm, I'll bring you out. I'm your God. I'm the God who watches over you. I'm the God who will take care of you. He sent them to Egypt. And at the end of the 400 years, he's going to bring them out. He's going to keep his promise. So in verse 5, Daniel recognizes the people's guilt before God. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled. Turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have sinned. We have done wrong. We have acted wickedly. We, are, we have rebelled. We've turned aside. The, the children of Israel during the exile had multiple opportunities to repent, to get made right with God. But they rebelled and continued to rebel and continued to rebel. Pretty much like man does every day. Yeah? But God was still their God. He brought about his, uh, his judgment. He brought about correction. And now you have Daniel, 70 years later, praying in an upper room 
with his face toward Jerusalem, telling God, hey, we have done wickedly. This nation, we're guilty. We turned aside from your commandments. We didn't listen to your servants, the prophets. When Jesus talks about the servants, the prophets, what does he say? He says, we sent prophets, but you killed them. You wouldn't listen to them. That was pretty much the life of the prophet. Most prophets don't have a happy ending. Most prophets go, they share the word of the Lord. People don't like the word that is shared. They don't like the things that have been told them. And so they rebel, they turn, they flee. They, they find themselves in a place where they are under uh, condemnation and judgment. And then they lift their eyes to heaven and say, Lord, help. And the good news is, God helps. He doesn't turn his back on the people. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, to all the people of the land. He's acknowledging their refusal to live following God's ordinances. They, they have rejected the prophets and he recognizes the re results of that sin. Look at verse 7. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame. Now, sometimes this is a, this is a hard part of our prayer lives before God. Because we have a tendency to want to blame our sin and our struggle and our situation on somebody else. Well, Lord, I'm here because they did this. Lord, I'm in this place because they did that. Uh, I'm just reacting to the circumstances around me. We have an ability uh, as men and women to be able to lay, aside, lay the blame upon whomever's around us and not accept responsibility for our own actions. Daniel didn't pray that way. Daniel said to you, he says, you, O Lord, you are righteous, but we have open shame. We are guilty, as it is this day to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, to all Israel, to those who are near and those who are far away. If you remember when we went through Jeremiah, you have the nation of Israel fall, Jerusalem had fallen. You have um, not only in the nation of, of, of Israel going down, but then you have one last group of captivities from Jerusalem who are brought to a refugee camp, you remember outside of Babylon, you got Daniel inside of Babylon. So you have some of the captivities in Babylon, some of them in a refugee camp, some of them still back in Jerusalem. Some of them running to Egypt. But Daniel's point is that we're all guilty. It doesn't matter where we are. If we're, if we're in the palace or I'm in the refugee camp or I'm still in Jerusalem or I'm on my way to Egypt... I'm guilty. We are guilty before you, God. And we're guilty this day. And no one is outside of that guilt. That's interesting to me because when we look at the nation of Israel and their exile and this struggle and this prayer, this is something I think still hasn't happened in the United States yet. We, we still are pointing our finger that this is somebody else's fault. You know, this is, this is the Democrats, or the Democrats say it's the Republicans, or, or maybe both of them point to the independents, or maybe everybody's pointing at somebody else. Daniel's prayer was, I'm guilty. 
our nation is guilty before God. And he, as an individual, is repenting on behalf of his nation. He's not saying, Lord, you know, God, you got to do something about all those other people. He puts himself in with the other people. Lord, I'm here. I'm, I'm part of the problem. In all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery they have committed against you, to us, O Lord, belongs open shame. To our kings, our princes, our fathers, because we have sinned against you. He is using language that includes himself. He doesn't say, you know, all them church leaders, they're messed up. Or the guys who are making the calls in the denominations. Or the guys that are part of that denomination or that denomination. No, he says, we're, we have messed up. We're guilty. Before you, God, we're guilty. We stand guilty and no one is exempt, great or small, from the guilt in Daniel's prayer. He says in verse 9, to the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness. For we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophet. Now, you go back through all those prophets that we've been through so far, and you look at the charge, and you'll be able to break it down to this. You do not love the Lord your God. You have set up idols in his temple. You are unfaithful worshiping other gods. You are unfaithful by putting your hope and trust somewhere else, someplace other than uh, where it needs to be. You are focused in all these, in all these ways, in, in different directions. You, God, are, are, are we, O oh Lord, are not walking in your commandments. And we always want to argue about the, the, the commandments. The commandments of the Lord, they're divided into three parts. And the moral commandments have never been abolished. Still wrong to commit adultery. Still wrong to murder. Still wrong to steal. We say that Jesus Christ has come to set us free from the penalty of the law. From our guilt under the law. But he doesn't say... He set us free from walking in the law. And if I want to walk in the law, instead of trying to figure out how to learn 616 commandments, what's the law that God wants me to walk in? Love the Lord your God. Every married couple understands something of this because there is something in your mind that is expressed to you of love from your spouse. And if you're not feeling it, then you're having open discussions about what's lacking, right? Okay, hey, I'm unhappy about this, or I'm unhappy about that, or I need this, or I need that. But we're still looking for the expression of love in our human relationships, and that's what it means to follow Christ. It's still what it means to follow Christ. I, I walk in love with God. And so I look at the things God's word tells me to do and I try to apply those things in my life. Now the law of God is divided. You have ritual law, you have moral law, 
and you have civil law. The ritual law is all fulfilled in Christ. That's the law that you had to follow in order to draw near to God. Right? You had to... You had to be cleansed. You had to wear certain things. You could only eat certain things in order to have uh, the opportunity to worship God, to come into his presence. Who has made the way for you to come into God's presence today? Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ has made you able with boldness to come before the throne of grace, right? The civil law is, is still, should still govern us today. The civil law is a law that we look at and we say, okay, I need to make application of this in my life. Meaning, you know, the easiest one to point to is build a parapet around the roof of your house so nobody falls off the roof of your house and gets hurt. What's the application? The application is I am responsible for the people who come to my house. If they come to my house and get hurt because of my negligence, I should be responsible for that. Right? That's, that's not that crazy, is it? That doesn't have nothing to do with shellfish. Wearing polyester or cotton. Polyester and cotton and all this planting things in a field. This was all ritual uh, law that enabled you to come into the presence of God, which has been purchased for us by the blood of Jesus Christ. But the civil law, we still look at that and we say, okay, this is how I am, this is how I love my neighbor. And the moral law is still, this is how I love God. How I love God. I, I don't steal. I don't rob. I don't cheat. I don't do, I try to, and I, when I fall, what do I do? I confess my failure. He forgives me because he's a God full of forgiveness and mercy, right? He forgives me. I rise up and I continue on. This is what it looks like to follow Christ. To walk in obedience. And Jesus said, come and follow me. All the things that you see Jesus do, you feel free. And all the things you see him not do, then you cut out. But follow, follow him. Walk in unity, union with God. Being obedient to, to where he's calling us and what he's calling us to. He says, now all Israel, verse 11, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out on us. So ahead of time, you know, you guys, as, as followers of Jesus Christ, we ought to be men and women of the book. Meaning we know what the book says. We know what the Bible teaches we know the things that the Bible is laying out for. So he's saying, look, we're guilty. We transgress. We refused to obey your voice. They refused to be faithful to God. Their primary guilt was bowing down to other gods, multiple gods. Finding, finding uh, uh, the reality that they would go and worship Yahweh. They still brought offerings to him. They still did all that stuff, but... You know, Monday they'd go worship this God over here, and Tuesday that God over there, and, and of course Saturday they'd go worship Yahweh, and they, they, they just would, you know, if one's good, three must be better. And the Lord God saw that as unfaithfulness. So David, when he prayed out to God in his sin with Bathsheba, in Psalm 51, it says, Have mercy on me, O Lord. According to your steadfast love, 
According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know in my transgression my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Wash me thoroughly. Cleanse me. I recognize my guilt and I have sinned. And when he says against you and you only, I know a lot of people uh, trip over this, but the point of Psalm 51 is David's discussion with God. It's not David's discussion with Ahithophel or David's discussion with someone else. It's David's discussion to God. And he's saying, I'm guilty before you, God. I, I have sinned against you, Lord, and he recognizes his guilt. And here you have Daniel doing the same thing, recognizing the guilt. We rebelled. We have not obeyed. We have sinned. We rebelled. We have not obeyed. We have sinned. Now, in the normal life of a believer, that should be something that's always a part of your life. When you reach sinless perfection and see Jesus, you won't have these conversations anymore. But until then, when you fall, admit your guilt, ask for forgiveness, and be restored. It's not a complicated process. It only becomes complicated when our pride gets in the way. Anybody ever had their pride get in the way? It only becomes complicated when we struggle in our pride. Look at verse 12. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole of heaven, there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God. We have not turned from our iniquities and gained insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all his works that he has done. Yet we have not obeyed his voice. We have not responded to, to what God has been calling us to. And when I look at this part in Daniel, just like when I was looking when we were going through Jeremiah and, and even as we were going through Ezekiel, I can't help but put ourselves in the position of exile, recognizing a nation that at one time had enjoyed the favor of God uh, and, and now is under such, rebellious, such a rebellious nature and turning against him that uh, we can't even recognize or we struggle recognizing the judgment of God. What, did he, what was he saying about his people? He said, look, we, we haven't even uh, entreated the favor of the Lord our God. Oh, Lord, save us. We have sinned. We have turned our back. Now, in Leviticus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, third book of the Bible, when Moses was putting together the Torah, the history of the fall of man, the creation of the nation of Israel, God's covenant or promise with the nation of Israel and establishing all those things with them. In Leviticus chapter 26, God told them what he would do if they, when they lost their way. 
He says in Leviticus 26, verse 14, if you will not listen to me and will not do all these things, all these commandments, if you spurn my statutes, if your soul abhors my rules so that you will not do all my commandments but break my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will visit you with panic, wasting disease and fever that consumes the eyes, makes a heartache. You will sow your seed in vain for your enemies will eat it. I will set my face against you and you will be struck down before your enemies. Those who hate you shall rule over you and you shall flee even though none pursues you. The loss of courage. And if in spite of this you will not listen to me, then I will discipline you again sevenfold for your sin. And I will break the pride of your power and I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze. Heavens like iron, no rain. Earth like bronze, things won't grow. Things aren't growing, rain's not falling, and your strength will be spent in vain. For the land will not yield its increase. The trees of the land will not yield their fruit. Then if you walk contrary to me and will not listen to me, I will continue striking you sevenfold for your sins. And I will let loose the wild beasts against you, which shall bereave you of your children, destroy your livestock, make you few in number, so that your roads will be deserted. And if by this discipline you are not turned to me, but walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you. And I myself will strike you sevenfold for your sins. And I will bring a sword upon you, and you shall execute vengeance for the covenant. And if you gather within your cities, I will send pestilence among them, and you shall be delivered into the hand of your enemy. When I break your supply of bread, ten women shall break your bread in a single oven, and shall dole out your bread again by weight, and you shall eat and not be satisfied. But if in spite of this you will not listen to me, but walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you in fury, and I myself will discipline you sevenfold for your sin. And you shall eat the flesh of your sons and the flesh of your daughters. And I will destroy the high places, cut down your incense altars, cast your bodies upon the dead bodies of your idols, and my soul will abhor you. I will lay waste... I will lay your cities waste and will make your sanctuaries desolate. And I will not smell your pleasing aromas. That's the sacrifices that the people would bring. And I myself will devastate the land so that your enemies who settle in it shall be appalled at it. And I will scatter you among the nations. And I will unsheath the sword after you. And your land will be a desolation and your cities will be laid waste. And the land will enjoy its Sabbaths. As long as it lies desolate, while you are in your enemy's land, then the land shall enjoy, shall rest and enjoy its Sabbath. As long as it lies desolate, it shall have rest, the rest it did not have on your Sabbath when you were dwelling in it. One of the things that was in the law of God, you may remember this from the time the children of Israel were walking through the wilderness. They would receive manna how many days of the week? What was different about the sixth day? So they had twice as much on the sixth day, so they didn't have to work on the seventh day, so they would keep the Sabbath and remember to keep it holy. You know, God did the same thing with their crops. 
And he said, for the land, you work the land six years. And I'll give you the harvest for six years. And on the sixth year, I'll give you an abundance of harvest so that you can let the land rest. You give the land a Sabbath. For 490 years, the children of Israel never gave the land rest. Not one Sabbath year was given to the land so that God says, prophetically he's speaking in Leviticus because they haven't done any of it yet. So in Leviticus, God is saying to them, hey, listen, if you don't listen, this is going to happen. If you don't listen, this is going to happen. If you don't listen, this is going to happen. And then he says, and I will give the land its Sabbath. Now, this is before they're, they're going in, you know, in, in the book of Joshua, they're entering into the land. At this time, the time of Leviticus, they're still receiving the manna. They're promising to do the things God's asked them to do, to live their life following him, being, being obedient to him. For 490 years, God forgave the nation of Israel for the same sin over and over and over again. When Jesus came, you may remember one of his disciples coming to him, Lord, how many times should I forgive my neighbor for the same sin? As many as seven times? Do you remember what Jesus said? Which is how much? 490. You think that just happens to be the number? Just circumstantial, 490 times. The Lord is, is forgiving them over and over. But he says in Jeremiah, we read it last week, if you remember, God said, I'm going to give the land 70 years. It will have its rest. Here in Leviticus 26, before they ever came into the promised land, the Lord warned them. Be obedient. But it's hard for man not to be greedy. Well, I'm, maybe not for you guys. It's hard for me not to be greedy. I, I know that I have those desires within me, and here they had these desires within them. So the Lord says, it shall lie desolate, and it will have its rest. Verse 36, and as for those of you who are left, I will send faintness into their hearts in the lands of their enemy. The sound of the leaf will put them to flight. They will flee as one flees from the sword. They will fall when none pursues. The idea of the people not having courage. They will lose their ability to have courage or boldness to stand. They shall stumble over one another as if to escape a sword, though none pursues. You will have no power to stand before your enemies. You will perish among the nations, and the land of your enemies will eat you up. And those of you who are left will rot away in your <coughs> enemies' lands because of their iniquity. And also because of the iniquity of their fathers, they shall rot away like them. But listen, verse 40. But if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers and their treachery that they have committed against me and also in walking contrary to me, so that I walk contrary to them and brought them to the land of their enemies, if then their uncircumcised heart is humbled and makes amends for their iniquity, I will remember my promise with Jacob. I will remember my covenant with Isaac, my covenant with Abraham. 
and I will remember the land. But the land shall be abandoned by them. Enjoy its Sabbath while it lies desolate without them. And they shall make amends for their iniquity because they spurned my rules and their soul abhorred. They hated my statutes. Yet for that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not spurn them. Neither will I abhor them so as to destroy them utterly for I am the Lord their God. But I will for their sakes remember the covenant with the forefathers whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God. I am the Lord. Long before the Lord laid out these things, when Daniel prays his prayer, he doesn't offer a defense or excuse for their guilt. He just proclaims it. We are guilty. Freely admitted that they were being punished and that they deserved it. He made no plea for mitigation, give us short time. He made no plea for, for something to pass over their shame. He just acknowledged their shame and their guilt. And then in verse 15, Daniel 9, he says, And now, O Lord God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. He's looking to the Lord God, for he's their only hope. Verse 16, O Lord, according to all your righteous act, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sins. For the iniquity of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O Lord, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and his plea for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. He lifts up his eyes once again upon the Lord God and asks him, God, remember us. Don't forget us. And the Lord promised in Leviticus that there would be a day he would remember his people. He promises throughout the prophets. I will regather you from the four corners where I spread you. I will bring you back. I won't make a full end. I'm not going to wipe you all out. I'll bring you back. I'll fulfill my promise. In verse 18, Daniel says, Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolation and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. The plea is not according to, Oh Lord, now we're good. Now we do it all right. No. He just plead, He just uh, cries out to God on the basis of his grace and his mercy. Lamentations. After the fall of Jerusalem, Jeremiah wrote this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. He is the God of mercy and forgiveness. And he wants to forgive. But he also wants his people to be able to acknowledge their sin before him. That the Lord in his mercy would move. In verse 19, Daniel wraps it up and says, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, see. Pay attention and act. Seventy years are almost up. It's time for us to go back to the land. God, in your mercy, see us. Delay not, 
For your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. During the reign of Cyrus, which is at the same time as Darius the Mede, there are two men who are going to go before the king and ask to go back and rebuild Jerusalem. Nehemiah and Ezra. They're going to go back. One will rebuild the temple. The other will rebuild Jerusalem. And they're going to do that after Daniel prays his prayer. So it's so close. I mean, nobody can nail down the day. They have dates, actually, when those decrees happen. But we don't have a, 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 an exact date for Daniel's prayer other than the time uh, before Darius the Mede. But as after Daniel prays, you're going to see the chron chronological history of Israel is wrapped up in the books Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra and Nehemiah, that, that brings us through the chronological history of Israel. That's all we got. Then you have 400 years of silence in Jesus. So those, those two books are the picture of God's returning his people back to the land and looking forward still to the promise of Messiah, which is to come. So he says, Lord, forgive, oh my God, because of your city and your people who are called by your name. Now listen to verse 20. We'll look at this next time. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God. So in other words, before he can say amen. While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, Oh, Daniel, I have come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly beloved. So the scripture lays out for us, oh, God loves you so much, Daniel. Before you finish praying your prayer, he sent me to answer it. And Gabriel's going to lay out for us in the rest of, of this prophecy in Daniel chapter 9, one of the most incredible prophecies in the Bible of the 77s of Daniel the prophet. A prophecy referred to by Jesus Christ in Matthew 24 and Mark 13 and other places in the Gospels uh, that talk to us about the end of days. So as we look at this next section, we just it's important for us that we, we recognize and we understand that the result of the answers that God's going to give to Daniel are going to come on the heels of Daniel's prayer. And Daniel prayed because Daniel read the word, understood his guilt and the guilt of his nation, and brought a prayer of repentance to God. And God sent an angel to answer his prayer before he could say, Amen. So you have this incredible... Uh, move of God bringing the answers that he needed, that Daniel needs to have. And we'll see more of that developed as we work our way 
through the rest. There's much more to take a look at in the, in the realm of the angelic in the next few verses before we get to even the juicier part. But we'll take a look at that next time. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We praise you, God, for the work that you have begun. We ask, Lord, that you would, God, call us in the same way. I know for many of us, we look at our nation and we think about where we have declined to and where we are. And maybe it certainly is not as bad as it could be. Maybe we're before the days of incredible judgment. I, I, I don't know, Lord, but I know that you give us a, an example in the life of Daniel. The men and women, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. And we see Daniel do that very thing at the end of the exile. We see the promise from the angel Gabriel coming and the prophecy, God, that you're going to give of the 70 weeks of, of Daniel that described for us the day Messiah is going to come. The hope of Israel and the blessing for the whole world. All of that is wrapped up in this prayer saying, Lord, what are we going to do? We're a mess. We're sinners, we failed, we struggle, it's so hard for us to do what we need to do. And in part of the answer that you bring is, God so loved the world, so he gave his one and only son. God, we thank you for the truth that your word declares. And we pray you would equip us, God, to do the things you're calling us to do, to be the men and women you're calling us to be, to walk where you're calling us to walk. And Lord, we pray that you would accomplish your purpose as we go from this place. Lord, may we be men and women who want to walk in your truth. We give you all the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.